This is the Depth and Light Podcast. I'm J.D. Pirtle. As an educator working in the United States, it's been really hard not to compare and contrast how other countries have responded to the pandemic, particularly in schools. Some school districts in the United States have erred on the side of caution and have kept students and faculty at home, teaching and learning remotely. Other school districts in the United States have opened with little or no policies to prevent the transmission of COVID-19 to students, faculty, and staff. Our guest today is Sandy Bonsell. We first spoke to Sandy back in March when she was teaching and living in Italy. Now, after two years of working and living in Italy, Sandy has returned to Sweden where she normally lives. In our conversation, we'll hear how Sweden has approached this pandemic and how different it is from what we're doing in the United States. Cindy and I also discuss what tools are working for teaching remotely, for teaching in person, and a hybrid of the two. Okay, Sandy, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you again for agreeing to talk to me. Um, I'm really glad to, that you're here. Thanks, JD. I, you know, it's always great to come back and talk uh, my experience. Yeah, last time we talked, you were okay. So, you know, this is a long time ago. It seems like even longer with this year. So, last time we talked, it was March, and you were teaching in Italy. And I understand that you are no longer in Italy. So, I was just wondering if you could talk about what the rest of the school year was like um, and just kind of the transitions you've made in your life and in your experience um, where you are. Okay. So, yeah, so we were in lockdown for about 20 weeks um, where we weren't allowed to go out and see anyone, speak to anyone or, well, uh, virtually, yes. Um, And then uh, school ended. And I think during that time I made up my mind that I couldn't be locked in a uh, uh, in an apartment with no balcony. Um, you couldn't go out. Uh, so, so my primary primary home is in Sweden. I made up my mind that I was going to move back to Sweden, and I think I got the first flight back. So, okay, so you had, you had been in Italy kind of temporarily, like two years or something like that, um, just kind of experiencing being an educator there. So, I mean, how do you feel if you, so now that you're in Sweden and you can kind of compare and contrast, because I mean, you know, our cases have only gotten worse here. Um, and a lot of that is lack of a federal response, lack of any kind of um, coordinator response, really. So how do you kind of compare and contrast how Italy dealt with the pandemic and teaching? And then, you know, I understand that you're teaching again in Sweden. So how, what is the difference difference in those approaches? Oh, um, I think, um, I think what, what Italy did at that time was, I think because no one knew what the pandemic was. And I think what decision they made was a good decision but what I found was the education system wasn't ready 
for the teachers to be online um, as a Google educator, I was getting uh, unindated emails on uh, how do I use Google? How, what is me? What is how do I you know connect with my students? And uh, and I think the other thing in Italian schools is they're very old school. It was just books and pens. It wasn't uh, uh, there were no forms of gadgets there. So I think it. In their system, it worked, but I think it was unfair for the kids. Um, so that was my experience there. But coming to Sweden, what knowing of Sweden is they didn't close any of the secondary schools mm-hmm. uh, because there were a lot of working parents and they were like, well, we can't close the economy. So the schools remained open um, 16 plus students worked from home. The universities were closed. And I think that worked um, because the older kids can look after themselves at home. And I think they just wanted the the younger ones to be s- still at school. Um, here in Sweden as well, all the students in high school get a one-to-one device. Mm-hmm. So that's why it was able to work at home, I think, uh, but um, overall, um, I think if a lockdown happened in Sweden, I'm I'm ready for it because, like, I have a garden. I can go outside and I can go to the shops. I don't need to have, at the moment, uh, a letter that says, Sandy Bansor is going to the shop. This is where I live and the purposes I need necessities, I think like what other countries are doing and what was happening in uh, Italy as well. Yeah. Sure. So not having that permission slip that you mm-hmm. had when you were in Italy, like that really stated like not only who you were, but where you were going. I mean, it was very prescriptive. So I, I guess my question is about Swedish schools is since they had 16 year olds and under in person, were they wearing masks? Were they doing social distancing or was it just let's all go to school as if this isn't happening and see what happens. Yeah, but I think they allowed the choice. Right, So f- Sweden is very democratic. It's like you choose. Mm-hmm. So if the students wanted to stay at home, if the parents said, no, no, you're not going to school, the work was sent home or there was some connection between the parents and the teachers or the schools. So it wasn't like it was forced. So even now, there, um, so where I'm teaching, I'm doing uh, both uh, virtual learning and classroom teaching at the same time because we are not f- putting any uh, force to the students that they have to come into school. Mm-hmm. It's double work for us as teachers, um, but the choice is this as long as work is being produced. Um, I can say that in my school, we had a uh, we had COVID cases. We had about 10 kids off, about three teachers. We had to shut the school um, for about 10 days. And we were the first school that brought in uh, face masks for students to wear in the shared areas. Because at the moment in Sweden, there isn't any um, compulsory face-wearing masks in uh, corridors, dining uh, areas, you know, people just carry on. Mm -hmm. 
And so is that, so do you see some people like, let's say just as in your non-teaching life, you're walking around a market, you're walking around a square, a park, are people wearing masks? Do some people, um, is it like the majority are not wearing a mask or is it kind of 50-50? No, it's majority not wearing. And I think for every hundred people, there's probably two. Like, I mean, Ikea, for example, you go into Ikea, how busy is Ikea? Yeah. Um, I think it was just me and my husband with our masks on. It was, everyone else was walking around as, yeah, it's okay. I mean, they've got hand sanitizers everywhere, but still, I I don't know. It's just really, for what I saw in Italy, I think um, the way Sweden is, I think they're sometimes too relaxed. Mm-hmm. And so how, I guess, you know, so how, you know, in the United States, unfortunately, in a lot of areas, there's been such an anti-mask backlash by some people. It's been very heavily politicized. The virus has been here. Um, are When you saw those people in Ikea and you and your husband were the only ones wearing a mask, was it like people were looking at you strangely or was it, are they just like, you know, let you do your own thing and if if you choose to wear a mask, that's fine? Or was or was there some kind of stigma? No, no. I mean, here is it's a choice. You know, you can or you, you don't have to. So they don't look at us because I first thought that everyone's going to be looking at us. But no, I think, uh, no, I, you know, I think people see that you're wearing a mask and it's fine. Mm-hmm. And so how are you guys numbers? I mean, I know that, you know, things have kind of died down in Europe in general, but how are your numbers now compared to like, say, at the beginning of the school year? Uh, we were doing really well. But only yesterday, I mean, the numbers are small compared to other countries, but we had 2,000 new infections yesterday. Uh, And that's a lot. Uh, And the thing is, the gap, I mean, the age group is between 20 and 29. So the it's not even the older uh, generation. It's like they are staying more at home and they are more cautious. It's the younger generation that are thinking, yeah, it ain't going to happen to me. And then they're the yeah. ones who are out. So you're thinking like 18 to like 28, like that range, not necessarily 14-year-olds, but like yeah. more like kind of the the 20-year-olds. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that those people here in the United States are definitely, you know, um, I think there was the message that it doesn't affect young people that I think was, you know, an unfortunate message that came out because it does affect some young people. Um, and I think also that there was this message in the United States, at least that it was like a bad flu, which we know now it's absolutely not. Um, so do you think that is part of, is it, is it just that Sweden is more democratic and it's like live and let live and people do whatever they feel like they need to do? Or do you think it's that there was a message there also that it doesn't affect young people in the same way it might affect old people or people, older people or people who have some pre-existing condition? I think, like like you said, I think the message at the beginning was wrong, where it said, oh, it doesn't affect the young people, it's okay. I think it all it affects people in different ways, depending mm-hmm. on your uh, immune system. Um, I also think the young people weren't given the message is if they are uh, uh asymptomatic or their carriers uh, they won't be affected but they could pass it on to someone who could be the grandparents or someone who's generally older and that's the message that is not getting back to them I think all they're saying thinking is if we get it we get it but it's not going to be we're not going to die of it and I think that message hasn't got through to the young people 
So kind of turning to your role as an educator in the school you're working in, you, you mentioned that there were some cases, um, you, I think you said like 10 amongst children and about three amongst faculty. What is the general feeling there? I mean, do, I mean, do people feel like, um, do, do people feel confident in the way the schools are responding? Do they feel like, are they kind of scared to be at school each day or they do that? I mean, I know it's hard for you to kind of gauge everyone's feeling, but what's, what's the general feeling amongst, um, the faculty about teaching and teaching in person? Um, I actually think that, I mean, we've got such great support from our principal. Um, he actually listens to all our opinions. He thinks like, okay, these are the guidelines. This is what's happening. He's very, uh, he does not want the school to close down. Mm-hmm. So he's put all these measures in place. Um, so he's like, right, we're going to do masks. And I think for a lot of us, we think it's uh, no one's actually said no. Everyone thinks it's a great idea. So the, the staff are wearing masks. Uh, we think, um, yeah, I think it's a great decision he's made. Um, and I think as as adults, we want to lead by example to the students. So the students who are not wearing it, because they could also turn around and say, well, we don't need to. Um, they they are wearing it. So we've not had to tell or say to any student, why are you not wearing it? I think uh, especially like, uh, so in the high school, there's three years and our school is fairly new. Mm -hmm. The second year students missed out uh, a lot of their education and they had a flashback and they were like, we don't want to go back into that situation where we're learning from home. So we want to make this our safe environment. So they're really, you know, they're playing the part. And I think that's what makes it, I think, really good. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the leadership in your school. You guys are confident in your principal. What is the, I mean, I think you have a unique perspective because you were in Italy and now you're in Sweden. What's the general feeling about like leadership in, in, in Sweden? You know, the government, I mean, do people feel like the government has responded well to this? I mean, right now, as I'm sure you're aware, we're in just days away from a pretty important presidential election here. And if Donald Trump loses, a lot of people feel that the major reason he would lose is kind of a referendum on his poor response, if any response to the coronavirus. So what is the general mood um, amongst the adults about how the Swedish government has responded to this? Oh, you know, I don't know, 50-50, I suppose. I mean, in a way, I think uh, when it hit the uh, old people's home, I think that's when everyone was like, oh, the government hasn't done well. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, like over the summer and like July, August, September, our numbers were really low. We had like maybe single figures Mm -hmm. with COVID cases. It was very low. And it brought up that... um, optimism that what we did was good um they still have you know opening hours are reduced from shops Uh, they have their distances hand gels everywhere um we try and educate the kids I think the school times are varied between different schools Mm -hmm. the kids can come and go at different times so no one's you know packed on we have public transport here for the kids uh, for the students so you know no one's packed into a train or a bus um uh many parents decide to drop the kids off at school now and pick them up mm-hmm. uh, so there's i think there's a lot of uh, different tactics that everyone's using here i 
think um, a lot of Swedes believe in the government. They believe what they're saying. And uh, the government actually listen to the scientists uh, um, and see what their response is. So I think it's all about people at the top talking to each other and then discussing what's working, what's not working. Um, I, You know, the other thing I can say is no one's been in this situation before and it's so t- I, I am so happy that I do not run a country. Mm-hmm. It's such a, I think it's such a tough decision to make whatever decision they make. Oh, yeah. I think any, I mean, I think from head of school or principal to like in our city's mayors or governors, I mean, presidents, um, prime ministers, I do not, I mean, I think in any, in the best of times, that's a stressful and kind of thankless role. But I think during a pandemic, it's just, I mean, no thanks. Um, so, I mean, one thing we were t- chatting about before we started recording, you were kind of talking about culturally about S- Sweden and uh, you kind of referenced it. Is there kind of like, a, are they more, pri- is there more of a private kind of culture there? And do you think that, I mean, obviously you're not a scientist, but do you think that contributed to maybe this not huge spread of the virus, just kind of the cultural norms there? Yeah, so Swedes are very much uh, people who like to, uh, I wouldn't call them antisocial, but they they like their little uh, social bubble and that's how they stay. They they don't small talk. Um, There's a very good picture that was running around uh, on Instagram few months ago and it shows the Swedes on a platform by a train station two meters apart individual people two meters apart before the pandemic mm-hmm. and then the same picture that's after pandemic or during the pandemic and I was like yeah that's true people do not like to stand very close anyway um so and I think that has helped people so mm-hmm. distance from each other um so I think they don't really like going out for coffees like I know in Italy people wouldn't start their day unless they went to the local cafe and had their coffee and then their day started could be like seven o'clock in the morning or uh 10 o'clock in the morning but here it's uh completely different it's like shops don't open till about 10 so if your job starts at eight you have to wait to get your coffee sometimes mm-hmm. so completely different um cultural views in how people meet and greet as well italian mm-hmm. uh, kiss well i think mediterranean countries kiss on the cheek when they say hello um Swedes will probably from afar away say hi. So there's not even like handshaking necessarily that's that's the norm there culturally? No, not really. So that's fascinating to me that like, I mean, I think that's something that obviously this will be a very heavily studied period in human history, but it's so interesting to me that these cultural norms that vary society to society, country to country, continent to continent, really kind of inform and dictate or, you know, explain how this virus might spread. I mean, in countries where people love to be kind of on top of each other in, you know, kissing on cheeks or shaking hands or gathering like in our country, in the United States, there's, you know, people go to churches and temples and things like that. And they're, they're singing and they're right next to each other. And it's just been super spreader events. 
uh, but that's so interesting to me. So kind of turning back to like, you know, your, 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 the lens you use is like a Google certified educator, innovator. Um, so you touched on this a little bit. I, you said that Italy, the school system was very much more analog based on books and things like that. But this, like in Sweden, so there's a one-to-one program that's, that's mandated by the government, that's provided by the government countrywide. Yes. All students get um, a device uh, when they go to high school. Uh, mm-hmm. So they learn, I think, IT skills. And so I think that's why they were able to uh, learn from home. So uh, you feel like it was more seamless, the transition in Sweden than, say, in Italy, where they kind of had to immediately all of a sudden become tech savvy and learn all of this technology, both teachers and students. But in Sweden, they had already had that framework and that knowledge built up. No, actually, even though the kids have devices, they don't know how to use them properly. There was a lot of learning to do. In Sweden. Uh, In Sweden. So I was um, able to help some of them out. So they use Google Me while we're teaching um, both at the same time, so virtually uh, and in a classroom. Um, But, I mean, Google, for example, its platform has grown so much. The things you can do has grown so much. And Mm -hmm. I think um, we're all learning. So anything that's new, I'm passing it on to uh, the teachers at my school so they can uh, have a better understanding on how to get uh, the kids more online and engaged. And I think that's what's really difficult at the moment is uh, is that motivation when the kids are at home. Oh, yeah. And so can the kids, so, you know, a lot of schools in the United States, you kind of have to commit for like a quarter or a semester to what you're doing. Like, you are you choosing to stay at home with your, or keep your child at home or send them to school? And you really can't go back and forth. In Sweden or in your school, can you, can kids stay home one day and be in person the next day? Or, and is it very fluid like that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, there, there's no, uh, I think um, some of them choose to stay at home. Mm-hmm. they can work better at home but some are like no we need to come in but you know what I have a sniffly nose uh, so I'm going to stay at home but the next day they'd be like oh no I'm feeling fine now mm-hmm. so, uh, and I think that's the other thing what Sweden's doing is like you've got any headache you've got a you know a sore throat or you've got a runny nose just stay at home Mm-hmm. It may not be nothing, but that's how they look at it. You've got anything, any symptoms, stay at home and don't come to school. And would you say that's something that was, was that a norm before the pandemic? You know, that people wouldn't, I mean, in the United States, I mean, the schools I've worked in, I've always been amazed by parents dropping their children off at school, knowing that they're sick. Um, so is that a, also maybe a cultural norm in Sweden that you care enough about others that you would not send your kid to school sick or you would not go to work if you were if you were knowing that you were sick beforehand? I think Sweden has a very good uh, system, welfare system. Mm-hmm. If your kid is sick, you stay at home and uh, look after your kid because your kid is more important. Whereas I know in other countries like the UK or Italy, um, if your kid is sick, well, who's going to look after them? Because you need to be at work. Mm-hmm. And I think I got in UK, my son was about eight months old. He was a very sick baby. My principal at that school turned around and said, Sandy, you're taking too much time off for your son. 
was like, well, should I take time off and pretend I am sick? Is that I, I didn't understand the message he was saying. You know. Sure. So it sounds like Sweden kind of the priority is humanity, is the humans, the the citizens. And in some countries, I'll certainly say in the United States, unfortunately, like business in corporations tend to be the priority. Um, so I, I, I want to go back to uh, what you said. So in Sweden, you felt like even though these kids and teachers had the devices beforehand and there is this one-to-one program, at least in high school, there wasn't necessarily like, they weren't necessarily fluent with these devices. And there there were some hiccups as you kind of um, switched to remote learning. So what were the kind of things that, besides like using Google Meet, what were some of the struggles that the teachers and the students had that you had to kind of deal with? Okay, so the one and the most one is the one we all dread is Wi-Fi. Mm. You know, too many people probably on, even though we've probably got the best Wi-Fi, it still goes down. Mm. So Wi-Fi was one of the big issues. Um, secondly, you know, if a student says, oh, my camera's not working, well, I, you know, sometimes you know it probably because uh, they don't want it to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and the teachers who are not tech savvy would say, oh, no, students' computer doesn't work. What do I do? So I think um, a lot of kids try and run, around, run rings around the teachers. Um, I think um, the links, sometimes the links don't work. So I personally found that if I am uh, teaching a subject, Jamboard or, I don't know, Quiz or Kahoot, whatever, when I worked on them, it worked. It was fine. It was good. Mm-hmm. But that's my planning. So then it comes for me teaching. I said, right, everyone, click on this link. And they're like, oh, it doesn't work. Hmm. You know, so I think we have to have that plan B or plan C ready and, um, and I think it's um, when, I don't know, when websites are down, um, if a student who's online and says, oh, everyone's on Jamboard, but I can't get in, where am I going wrong? And then you've got the students who are like, come on, miss, we're ready. And then someone else is like, no, but it doesn't work. You're like, oh, how do we do this? So I think it just becomes uh, I don't know, overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things that I think is interesting is there's been a lot of debate and an ongoing debate in this country about whether we should require students to have their cameras on, whether they're in Meet or in Zoom. So what is is there a, is there a norm in your school or in Sweden that you've noticed um, since you do a lot with technology and teachers? I mean, is it kind of up to you to turn your camera on or is it as a student or is it pretty much expected that everybody will turn their camera on and participate? Um. Personally, if we're treating the students as if they're in school, they should turn their cameras on. I mean, with the with most of the uh, like Google Me or Zoom or Microsoft, they have that blur background. Mm-hmm. So I always suggest blur the background because um, it's it's also part of GDPR. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always say blur the backgrounds. Um, for me to take registers, I want to see that they're there. Um, I think because we're educators, uh, we know it's so easy to mute, log in, mute, and turn the camera off and go back to sleep again. Oh, yeah. It, so, Especially for adolescents. I mean, you know, they don't want to be up in the morning. 
So it's like, no, you're, you know, if I've made the effort and I want to see you learn, I think, I think you need to do the same. Uh, so we do, uh, I personally say to my students, I need the cameras on. Mm-hmm. Once uh, my students were, because they're teenagers and their timetable, the schedule varies, they said to me, um, oh, we were home. We were in our balcony uh, listening to the lecture. I said, no, you weren't. Wasn't. I saw you walking. Uh, you were just on your phone. So I couldn't mark them in for the lesson because it was like, oh, the Wi-Fi wasn't working. I was at home. I'm like, nope, it, you know, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, def- I definitely have that feeling when all of my students' cameras are off. It's like I'm teaching to just a bunch of names. Um, so you mentioned Kahoot and Jamboard. What are some other things that are really working that you use or you, that you counsel, um, advise other teachers to use? What are some like great, especially for kind of either just remote or the hybrid remote and in-person? It sounds like you have a lot of like some of your kids are at home, some of your kids are in person. So what are some tools that are just really working for you during the pandemic? So I try and do a lot of forms, quizzes, mm-hmm. um, I do like Jamboard, yep, um, whiteboard.fe. Don't know if you've heard of that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's a very good one where the kids, um, I say, right, you've got 10 seconds. Uh, tell me two things of an output for a computer. Uh, unfortunately, with that one, you can't save the work. So it's just what you can see there and then. Mm-hmm. Um I try and find as many online, uh, like crosswords or puzzles um, that could keep both kids uh, in school and at home engaged. Um, I also do a lot of recorded lessons beforehand and I send them to the students saying, just in case Wi-Fi doesn't work, you've got a recorded lesson of what we're going Mm -hmm. to be doing. So kind of flip, flip classroom kind of model. Yeah. Um, what else do I do? Um, oh, I, I've tried to bring in loads of different things, different ways of teaching and learning mm-hmm. um, to the students. And plus my topics are really boring. It's about computers and networks. Mm-hmm. How much is binary numbers and it, it's like, I don't know. So I have to try and make it fun, uh, sure. play games or something to get them going. Um, but sometimes I think, um, it, yeah, it's just difficult uh, trying to find balance because the two. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's just student engagement teaching remotely is just so difficult. Um, so, are, so as far as like your learning management system, are you guys using Google Classroom in your school? Or do you guys do something different? I know you're a Google certified educator and innovator, so I didn't know if there's something you advocated for or what the school used. Yeah, so we, we're on a, another platform called Canvas. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's used in uh, quite a lot of universities in the US. Yeah, yeah, it's very big here, yeah. Yeah, so we use Canvas. Um, my school is called uh, the American High School. <laughs> oh, okay. So they follow the system quite a, quite a bit. And... Um, But Google, we use Google. We're trying – we don't have the paid version. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of restrictions. 
Um, so my leaders are looking into Microsoft at the moment, but I mean, mm. as much as I can, I try and use as many functionalities of Google because I think they work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like a preferencing. Um, mm. Wow, so you kind of turn into a more personal note. So is there anything, I think I asked you this last time, but what what are you doing in your spare time to kind of get through this? I mean, it sounds like Sweden's a lot more permissive and a lot more open, so you're not at home probably as much as you would have been in Italy, but is there any shows, movies, books, things like that, podcasts you're listening to uh, you want to share? Yeah, so I, first of all, I love going to school. I just... You know, just being able to say, oh, I've got to go to work today is is so much better than just say, oh, I have to get up, get changed to look at my computer. I think that makes so much of a, a difference for my well-being. Sure. Um, I've uh, taken on a master's in education. Oh, wow. So I'm studying a lot, uh, studying. Um. I'm uh, listening to many different podcasts. I've I've started doing a f- just for I think as a hobby because I've got a friend in uh, Texas who's been doing a course on podcasting. So we're like, okay, let's just have some fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more I don't think more you know women giggling and talking about well generally. Um, mm-hmm. We what else am I doing? Um, I don't know, just like, oh, you know, going for walks. I think that's what's really good. I'm just enjoying the walks. One thing I started back in um, February was um, exercising. So I've got the NTC app Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm exercising. Uh, Did it with them. It sort of like kept my mental uh, being good while I was in Italy. Carried it on, done it for 10 months uh, and just yeah just carrying on with that every day now it's more like an addiction like mm-hmm. i have to go and do something otherwise something's missing in my life so that's a nike training club right yeah yeah that's a that's not only is it just I, i'm amazed by the workouts that are available in it but just the overall like so many nike things the overall design and user interface is just so nice in yeah. their running in their running app and their training app yeah those are all great things it sounds like you're you're trying to be off screens as much as possible um, um yeah. Yeah. I think that's the secret. Uh, I think if we go, if we transition from I'm teaching or learning on a screen to I'm watching Netflix on a screen and I've moved maybe one foot in the whole day, I think that's really not conducive to good mental health. No. And I think what's nice here is because, uh, oh, Italy also has this thing you can't have t- more than two electrical things on it at the same time, otherwise you blow the fuse out. Oh, well. Yeah. So here I can. Uh, bake I can uh, you know put my washing on maybe have my I don't know I can do a million things here so yeah well it's you know Sweden is sounding better and better to me and you know depending on what happens next Tuesday in our election I may be uh emailing you and seeing if you guys have any openings there um yeah yeah yeah, it sounds great um well Sandy I just want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day and returning to the podcast and uh, you know I definitely want to check in with you in the future of this Hopefully this pandemic does not last for years and years, but uh, yeah, we should talk again and, and see how things are going. Thank you, JD. Um, you know, I wish you, you're safe and everyone's safe, your family's safe. It, it's, I, I don't know, I think it's uh, support we can give each other. Yeah, I mean, you know, whether or not we're all fighting, at least in this country, we're definitely disagreeing about things, but we 
the re- the reality is we're all in this together. And I think the sooner we all realize that, the happier we'll all be. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sandy. Thank you.